Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for <clears throat> the incredible, awesome, precious time of worship, Lord, and how it just brings us and draws us closer to you. And it does something within our heart and our spirit, Lord, that, Lord, just um, brings us to the reality of who you are and that we're so grateful, Lord, that we have the privilege and honor of calling on you and lifting our hands in praise to you because you are worthy of it. So, Father, I pray this morning and trust that through that time of worship that our hearts are prepared to receive your word, Lord. And, Father, I pray that we would leave this place transformed by your living word. Father, I decrease that you would increase unto myself of myself, so fill me with yourself. That everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you, not of me. I pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. Amen. Amen. Let's praise him this morning. Can you do that? Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 25 is today's text. We're going to go ahead and finish this chapter, and we'll be in chapter 6 next Sunday. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 25. We're now in part 12 of our series, Church Life. Say, Church Life. Come on, more enthusiasm. Say church life. Okay. You better be awake. You're at the 9 o'clock service, right? Okay. Um, yeah, God is so good. Part 12. Now, before we even dive into the text, I, I want to do a quick review, as always, from last week's text, verses 1 through 16 of chapter 5. And you might remember I gave you three points. And the first point of last week's text is the procedure. Say that. The procedure. Right th- oh, you don't have to write that down because I'm just going to go briefly on this review here. Verses 1 and 2, it's there, verses 1 and 2. And Paul, what he does, Paul gives Timothy the standard procedure for pastoral interaction in correcting church members. And he's admonishing Timothy uh, to say the right thing at the right time in the right way and to take into account the age of the person he's correcting. And if he's an older man, he says, don't rebuke him harshly. Rather, Timothy, exhort him as if he were your father. Speak to him, correct him gently and respectfully. And then he says, treat younger men as brothers. And so when you, Timothy, when you have to correct a younger person that is about your age or perhaps even a little younger than you, don't talk down to them. Rather, treat them and speak to them as you would a brother. Then he says, older women as mothers, that when you, Timothy, have to correct an older woman, you talk to her with the same respect and also dignity that you would give to the mother that you love. And then he says, and younger women as sisters, I love this, with absolute what? Purity. In other words, when you correct a younger woman, Timothy, make sure your conduct towards her is always pure and above reproach. You are to treat her as your own sister. The second point of last week's text was the plan. Say that, the plan. That's in verses 3 through eight, and this is a plan for the care of widows. And uh, Paul, uh, Paul says, give proper recognition uh, to honor those widows who are really in need. Now, when it comes to the caring of widows, God's primary plan is not the church. It's the family, right? The family. It's the children and grandchildren, and they're responsible to take care for, take care, uh, for her, take care of her, and to repay her for this is good and pleasing and acceptable before God. Then Paul says, the widow who is really in need and left all alone, in other words, no husband 
to provide for her because he passed away, he died, and no children or grandchildren. Perhaps she does have children and grandchildren, but they're losers. They're not around to help her. He says, puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray, love that, and to ask God for help. And then Paul, what he does, he points out that in contrast to the widow who is spiritually alive and who prays to God for help are those other widows who are spiritually dead and are living for pleasure. And Paul then, what he does, he exhorts Timothy, pastors, leaders, to teach these things to all believers, right, Uh, so that all believers will know what God expects of them when it comes to honoring and treating widows so that no one, speaking of believers, no believers may be open to blame that they may be without reproach. And then Paul, he, he pulls no punches and he says this straight up, anyone who does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse, worse than an unbeliever. The third point was the parameters. Say that. The parameters, and that's in verses 9 through 16. And Paul already established that God's primary plan for the care of widows is the immediate family, right? The, the children and grandchildren. Well, God's secondary plan, Paul says, secondary plan is the church. First, it's the family. Secondary plan is the church. And in verses 9 through 10, Paul, what he does, he lays out the parameters, the guidelines, the qualifications for the church's care of widows, for the widow who is really, say really, really in need. And if she has diligently followed every good work and all these things that Paul has just listed in those verses, then she qualifies to be put on the list. And you see, Paul is making it clear that there has to be a way to tell legitimate need from illegitimate need. You guys got that? Then in verses 11 to 13, Paul lists, Paul lists those who were not qualified to be on the list. They, they broke their pledge to God, and they were idlers, gossips, right? Busybodies saying things that they ought not to. And then in verse 14, Paul counsels younger widows to marry Right to have children to manage their homes—that's a good thing, amen. And to give their and to give the enemy uh, no opportunity for slander. And then in verse fifteen, Paul says some have in fact already turned away to follow Satan. In other words, their goals and desires have become di- directed by the world that they no longer focus on the concerns and desires of the kingdom of God. And then in verse sixteen, Paul gives his final word on widow, widow, excuse me, families, he says, families, families, not the church, but families are the first in line of support for widows. If you got it, say got it. This now brings us to today's text, and the title of today's message is Care for Those Who Lead. Say that. So notice that in last week's text, okay, we, we studied that, just gave you a review on that. Paul goes from caring for those in need to now caring for those who lead. You guys with me? The church's responsibility to the leaders in the church. Now, you guys know this, most of you guys know this. The New Testament uses three key words for leadership in the church. And the first word or words could be overseer slash bishop. And it's a word, uh, episkopos, from which we get the word episcopal. And it means to oversee and to care for. The second word is elder, say elder. And this is the word used in today's text. And that word elder is a Greek word, presbruteros, and from which we get the word presbyterian. And it refers to the one who is mature and models the faith. The third one is pastor or slash 
shepherd. It's the Greek word poimen, and that word means to shepherd or one who cares for the needs of others. So in Scripture, these titles refer to the same position using interchangeable words to speak of different facets of their assignment and different facets of their character as they lead the church. You guys with me so far? Now, now i got to be honest with you, okay? <laughs> Straight up honest with you. This is a little awkward and uncomfortable for me, and I'll tell you why, because as your pastor, as a pastor, I'm going to be preaching about how pastors are supposed to be treated by the church. <laughs> but it's the text, and i got to stick to the text. Amen? I was hoping someone else could preach this for me, but I guess not, right? Okay? So, so please bear with me, all right? Three points, if you're ready, say yes. Number one is this, reward. Say that. Reward. Write that down. And here, Paul, what he does, he speaks specifically to the remuneration, excuse me, of pastors and gets right to the point. And let's look at verse 17. He says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well. Now, the King James renders it like this The elders that rule well, he says, are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Now, first of all, I want you to notice, Paul writes, who direct the affairs of the church well. Say well. The King James says those that rule well, which means managing the spiritual interests of the church honestly, excellently, rightly, in other words, leading well, teaching truth. The pastor, in other words, the pastor's testimony is good, both inside and outside the church body, one who lives a life of integrity. You guys with me? Also notice, it's in the present tense, the pastor has ruled this way in the past and continue, this now continues to rule this way in the present. So Paul is saying pastors who rule well are worthy of double honor. Say double honor. What does Paul mean by the phrase double honor? I mean, does, does he mean that the pastor who's doing a good job should get paid twice as much? And there are some who believe that that's what the phrase means. I would disagree with them, okay? Unfortunately, there are some pastors that take this verse and expect the church to double their salary. Now, I want to remind you, back in chapter 3, verse 3 of 1 Timothy, one of the qualifications of a pastor is to not be greedy for money. You guys with me? Why? Because the ministry is not a place to pursue wealth or luxury. Now, the phrase double honor, now stay with me now, the phrase double honor means double weight or double care. Write that down, double weight, weight, or double care. So follow me here. It means, on, on the one hand, compensating. Got it? Compensating. In other words, taking care of the pastors, taking care of them financially. On the other hand, it's respecting. Got it? Say compensating. Say respecting. So it's compensating them. In other words, you care for them financially. On the other hand, it's respecting them. In other words, appreciating them, esteeming them, following them. 
So we are to honor pastors in a double kind of way. They are to be generously compensated and generously respected. If you got it, say got it. That's what it means biblically by double honor. You guys got it? And, and I just feel there's a lot of pastors out there who are living high on the hog because they want to be paid double the salary. Are you guys with me? Got it? Now notice, he says, are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is what? Preaching and teaching. The King James renders it as especially they who labor, say labor, love that word, in the word and doctrine. Laboring in the word and doctrine evidences ruling well. The, the, the word labor in the text means working, get this now, working to the point of exhaustion and physical fatigue. That's what it means. And it speaks of time and effort to study and prepare messages of the daily meditation upon the text and the study of it to get the right understanding of the passage, exegesis. And the point is, pastors who rule well, this is the point, are not lazy. Amen? They work until they're exhausted. Now, I got to tell you, there are some people that tell me, man, you got, you got such, you got it made, pastor. You just got to work one day a week. And I'll just preach two services on Sunday, just one day a week, man. And the fact is, I kind of laugh about that, okay? They're just naive to that, okay? Ministry is made up of a lot of hours, and it can be extremely exhausting. Extremely exhausting. Talk about studying. It takes me 23 plus hours, okay, for one message to break it down, to understand the historical meaning, the background, and to give you the meaning of what the text says, and not to make it a pretext, but to preach the total context of what it says. Not what I feel, what I say, but what God's Word says. Okay? So there's a lot of time studying in God's Word, okay? And not only that, but counseling. I counsel people all the time. Okay? Now, that's not always easy. Okay? So you're talking about counseling. How about hospital visits? And not to mention weddings. Quinceañeras. Huh? All right? I do quinceañeras. And how about this? How about funerals? I just officiated one yesterday. And it was a long day. We were here from 10 to about 6 o'clock, right? It was a long day. And you know what? So it's not easy. So my question is, so you want to be a pastor? Hmm? And some people want to be a pastor. Well, you want to be a pastor because they just think this is it. They just see this. This is the least of it. Are you guys with me? And so it's not a place for those who are not willing to work diligently. Let's go back to the text. He labors in the word and in doctrine, preaching, and teaching. So the main priority of the pastor is a commitment to the ministry of God's word. That's the main priority, okay? That's the pastor's number one priority and commitment to the preaching and teaching of God's word. Remember this? Preaching is exhortation. Remember that? Preaching is exhortation. It's urging. Exhortation is urging. It means to warn. It means to advise you. It's, it exhorts. And then teaching, teaching, say teaching, is instruction, right? It means to explain the text. It means to inform. So preaching exhorts. Teaching informs. So pastors are to expound the Bible. Okay? Got it? Not to read one verse and then go off on some tangent about all these stories and do a drama and have a video. No, they're to preach the Word of God, to expound on what the Word of God says. Can I get an amen? 
2 Timothy 2.15, some of you guys might know this, I'm going to read out of the Amplified Bible. It says, study and do your best to present yourself to God approved, a workman who has no reason to be ashamed, accurately, listen now, handling and skillfully, excuse me, teaching the word of truth. Now, if you're safe, say amen. The content of the teaching and preaching of God's word should impact your lives. Right? And it's my prayer and it's my hope and it's my heart, friends, that as I preach God's word to you, that you are not just listening to the word of God and not just learning about the word of God, but you are also being impacted by his word in that it's changing you and it's transforming your life. Amen? That the preaching and teaching of God's word is stirring you and moving you to know Jesus more and more and more and to love him deeply and to serve him and live for him more diligently, faithfully, and passionately. That his word is stirring you, moving you to be more kind, more loving, more forgiving, more patient, more faithful, more giving, to pray more, to serve more, to live, love, worship, and witness more. Why? Because the content of the preaching of God's word ought to impact your life. In other words, it ought to change you. Amen? We ought to be constantly changing. Amen? God not only made you, he's still making you. Amen? Write that down. Write that down. Okay? God not only made you, he's still making you. Verse 18. Stay with me. Verse 18. For Scripture says, love this. For Scripture says, say that. For Scripture says, he says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Now, this is an amazing verse when it comes to the doctrinal of biblical inspiration. I'll tell you why. When he says, for the scripture says, what he does, he quotes scripture to make his point. Got it? And what he's doing, he's putting an equal standing, the Old Testament scriptures and the words of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And so what he does, what Paul does, he combines the Old Testament reference, Deuteronomy 25 verse 4, where it says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain with the New Testament reference, Luke 10, 7, where Jesus says, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Did you get that? You see, putting a muzzle on the ox would prevent it from eating grain while it was working. And it means that the ox can't replenish its strength while it works. And so it's more sensible, more sensible to let the ox eat while it works, to enjoy the fruit of its labor. And Jesus put, it, Jesus put it this way, the laborer is worthy of his, say it, wages. And the point is, if the pastors, if pastors are faithful in leading and feeding the people, then the church ought to be faithful and pay them adequately so that they can, listen now, that, so the pastors can devote their time and energy fully to serve the congregation by feeding them the word of God. Amen? So you ready for the lesson? It's hard for me to say this, okay, but I'm going to say it. Pay and respect the pastors. Okay? Pay and respect the pastors. Be diligent in your care for them. Support them and appreciate them. Pay them and respect them. Amen? Now I want to say this because I want you to know something because I love you guys. Um, it, it has been hard financially here. 
the last, since COVID, we just got hit hard financially. And we're still trying to, you know, stay in the black. It's been difficult. Um, to be honest with you, our, our staff has not gotten a raise in almost, I think, eight plus years. Um, but that's okay. Because even if you were to pull my salary today because of finances, which I hope that doesn't happen, I would still come and preach to you the word of God. Amen? Okay, because that's my heart. But um, God's taking care of us. He's taking care of me and my wife and our family. And so just want to encourage you, if you can, give, give. Okay, because you're supporting your pastors to feed you and to lead you. Amen? That's all I'm going to say. Okay, I'm good. Okay, I'm good. I don't need a fancy car or a fancy home. I'm doing good. I'm being fed and I'm good. Amen? Okay? Say reward. Number two is rebuke. Say rebuke. Okay, rebuke. And that we praise God, yeah, when a pastor lives and, and uh, you know, lives and shepherds the church with integrity, respect, and with, with holiness and godliness, amen? But sadly, some fall by the wayside and fall into sin. We see that, right? We see it on the news, don't we? We see that. So there is a way to deal with a pastor who's actually acting inappropriately or one who's fallen to sin. And let's look at verse 19. Stay with me now. Paul says, do not entertain an accusation. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder slash pastor. Now, I want to stop there. It means, what he's saying here, it means this. Do not even listen to it. Don't investigate it. Don't believe it or prove it wrong. And you see, no unsupported, say unsupported, charges are to be brought against a pastor and elder. Now, this doesn't follow me. This isn't urging special treatment for the pastor or for the elder. Just fair protection from any impulsive or, listen now, unsupported accusation. You guys got that? Follow me. The accusation is not to be received simply because it has been made, because you're dealing with someone's reputation, right? And Paul, what he does, he wants to make sure that pastors are protected from false accusation, unsupported accusations, amen? So don't entertain an accusation against a pastor. Don't do it, but let's read on. Unless, say unless, it is brought by two or three witnesses. Got it? Don't entertain it. Okay, don't try to prove it wrong. Unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Now, if the fact many two or three witnesses come up with the same accusation, say same, the church needs to deal with it. That's what Paul's saying. Now, it doesn't mean that the elder, the pastor, slash pastor is guilty, but the church is required to, listen, at least investigate it, right? And they will either prove it true, to be true, or prove it to be false. Because under Jewish law, there was a requirement that was adhered to, and that's in Deuteronomy, write it down, 19.15, Deuteronomy 19.15, that one witness is not enough, not enough, one, not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense that might have committed. They may have, they may have committed. So a matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, Paul writes this. This is the third time I am coming to visit you, and as the Scriptures say, the fact of every case must be, this is what he says, be established by the testimony of two or three, what, witnesses. So you ready for the lesson? Get all the facts. There you go. Get all the facts. Say that. Get all the facts. 
as we just established through the scriptures, there must be two or three who can validate and verify the truthfulness of the accusation that is being brought against the pastor. You guys with me? So get all the facts. Get all the facts. Now the facts are clear, and the pastor is in fact guilty of sin, then the church must act. Look at verse 20. Stay with me. Those who sin. You guys get that? Those who sin. In other words, this is speaking of unrepented sin. Unrepented sin. It could be an ongoing pattern of sexual sin. Or an ongoing pattern of, 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 of lying or anger or divisiveness or even embezzlement. There have been pastors who have been taking money from the church. Right? So it could be a pattern of that. It's a sin that the pastor this now is not repenting of. You guys got that? Therefore, let's read on, are to be what? Rebuked publicly or rebuked before all. I mean, that's, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? Right? But it's, it's, it's the word. And I want to stop there, okay? This could mean before all, rebuked publicly. This could mean before the other elders and pastors. Or it could mean before the whole church. Or it could mean both. Okay? This seems to be the last step. Now, let me say, this, this is the last step in the disciplining process. You guys got that? This is the last step. And some churches want to sweep pastoral sins under the rug, but Paul says there should be an open rebuke. Now, Jesus gives instruction. I'm not going to get into it right now. Instructions on how to handle church discipline in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 18. Go home and read that. It's very, very, I mean, it's simple to understand and the steps when it comes to church discipline. But that's the last step is bring them before the elders or the church. Now let's read on. They are to be rebuked publicly. Why? Why? Here we go. So that the others, the others could be the elders and pastors or the church. The others may take what? Warning. Okay? It's for the sake of the whole church community that they will experience the fear of God by this public rebuke. Okay? They will recognize the value of fear. You guys with me? Because there's a positive value. There really is a positive value to fear when it comes to church discipline. Okay? So as you see that happening, whoa, I better, I better be careful too. Right? Amen? Verse 21, I charge you. I love that. It's not a suggestion. Not even a recommendation. This is a charge. And it was meant to get your attention. Okay? So Paul's saying, Timothy, pay attention. I charge you, Timothy. Okay, it's a pretty important charge, right? In the sight of God, say God. And Christ Jesus, say Christ Jesus. And the elect angels, say elect angels. Well, who are the elect angels? The elect angels are those who didn't rebel against God. Amen? Then he says, to keep these instructions, what instruction? Okay, the discipline of the pastor if he gets out of line. You guys got that? Without partiality and do nothing out of what? Favoritism. In other words, judgments must be carried out without prejudgment and taking sides because Timothy and the church also stand, listen now, stand before God, Jesus Christ, and the elect angels. They're watching you. Right? It's a solemn charge to Timothy and the church to not listen to accusations without proper witness. So you ready for the lesson? Here we go. Do everything, listen now, do everything with fairness. 
say that. Do everything with fairness. And then Paul's point is this. You must be cautious not to show favoritism and must exercise discernment and must be above personal prejudice. Proverbs, write this in Proverbs 24, 23. Write that down, Proverbs 24, 23. Solomon writes, here are some further sayings of the wise. It is wrong to show favoritism when passing judgment. Romans 2, verse 11. Romans 2, verse 11 says, for God does not show, God does not show favoritism. So fair and impartial judgment is required by who? God. Because God is fair and impartial, right? And you see, Timothy couldn't, what Paul's saying, Timothy, Timothy couldn't favor pastors he liked or more harshly judge those he didn't like. Okay? He had to deal with the evidence and the facts of each situation. Words, Timothy, listen, has to be, listen now, okay? Get it now? If you're a leader, a boss, whatever you might be, listen now, has to be firm and fair. Be firm, yes, firm, yes. Be fair. You guys ready for the lesson? Accountability. Say that. Hold your pastors accountable. You know you, know you have the right to do that? Biblically speaking, you have the right to hold your pastors accountable. As part of the church's ministry to pastors, the pastors need to be lovingly held accountable. If you see that we're stepping outside of something we shouldn't be doing, friends, then you are, by all means, have the right to say, hey, I need to pull you aside and tell you, you know, what you're doing is not right. Keeping us accountable. Can someone say amen? Say reward. Say rebuke. Number three is review. Say that, review. In other words, what Paul is saying here, as we get into the text here, review carefully those who are being considered, considered for leadership. Got it? And Paul, Paul, Paul points out that you might avoid some of this sorrow, speaking of the pastors that fell into sin, sorrow, if you, are more carefully, if you more carefully examine those you put into leadership position. Right? Verse 22, if you're still with me, say amen. Do not be hasty in the laying on of what? Hands. So I'm going to stop there. Those considered for leadership are to be tested and examined. Can I get an amen? This is why Paul gave the qualifications back in chapter 3. We covered that weeks ago in chapter 3. Qualifications back in chapter 3, right? In other words, give people time to prove themselves faithful in their life and lifestyle and time, right, to prove themselves faithful in ministry. Do you, do you remember what Paul said to Timothy back in chapter 4, verse 14? Huh? He said, do not neglect your gift, Timothy, which was given you through prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. It was a group of elders, pastors, who recognized Timothy's gift to preach, who laid their hands on him to ordain and commission him, affirming his gift, his calling for ministry. What they were doing, they were setting Timothy apart for the ministry. And what they were doing, friends, they were affirming him. Okay? He, he was tested and examined, and he met the qualifications. Therefore, they were pledging to support him and pledging to protect him. And this is what the church continues to do in selecting leaders. Amen? 
I want to say this. No man or woman ascends to the position of leadership by their own ambition. The gifting of God, say gifting of God, must be evident in their lives and must be set apart to do it. And this is a protective measure for the church, where the church discerns those who claim to be called. Well, God's called me. Okay, well, let's test you and examine you then. Amen? Huh? We have people come, well, God called me. Well, good for you. But guess what? We're going to test you and examine you. And then they leave. Huh? Then he says, let's read on, and do not share in the sins of others. This could mean do not involve in those kinds of sins that caused some pastors to be judged. Then he says, keep yourself pure, Timothy. Huh, did you get that? Paul's like, Timothy, Timothy, listen. Listen, Pastor Timothy, Pastor T, okay? Don't just consider what you have to do with other pastors. You, Timothy, you need to look at your own life and keep yourself pure. Amen? So I think it's good to look at our own lives and make sure we're living a pure life. Amen? Amen? Let me ask you a question. You know, when it comes to this reviewing and examining and testing, would you recommend a carpet cleaner who tore up your carpets? Better say no. Okay, you better say no, right? Or recommend a mechanic who ruined your car. Then, 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 then why would you recommend someone who can destroy the church? And i got to tell you, friends, there have been many ministers who've destroyed the church, who've destroyed people's lives. Are you guys with me? The one considered, this is why this is so important, the one considered for leadership must be tested and examined. Period. Amen? Verse 23. Stay with me now. Verse 23. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Well, Paul stops his train of thought here, kind of just stops about pastors, right? He doesn't talk about them, and he gives Timothy some medical advice. That's what he's doing. And Timothy obviously had some stomach issues. Now, I want to say this, okay? The wine was for medicinal use, not for recreational use. Now, as I said before, as, as, a, as a Christian, you, the Bible says you can drink, but don't get drunk. Amen? I, I, don't drink, I don't drink wine or alcohol, okay? That's my personal conviction. Okay, but here, the wine was used for medicinal, not for recreational use. You guys got it? Okay? Paul could simply be saying to Timothy, the ministry is tiring, Timothy, and the ministry is exhausting and difficult, so take care of your health. You guys ready for the lesson? Take your meds. Take your meds. When I wrote that down in my notes, I started laughing. That's a good one. It's a good one, right? And I'll tell you why I say take your meds. Some folks get this crazy notion that it somehow lacks faith to go to a doctor for your ailments. Now, I want, you, I want listen, don't forget, don't forget that one of Paul's constant traveling companions was Dr. Luke. Amen? Say, I'm all for praying for healing. I'm all for that. But man, if you're still hurting, go to the doctor. Take your meds. Amen? And just pray that God will use that to help you. Amen? Okay? Just don't walk around. Oh, man, go to the doctor, eh? Amen? 
Here we go, verses 24 to 25. Now, now what Paul does, he now he returns. He returns back to the flow in these verses, as, right? As he reveals two truths in regard to examining those considered for leadership. And the first truth is that some deeds, he pretty much says it, are evident. They're evident. Say evident. Look at verse 24. The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. So the point is that if you will just open your eyes, okay, just open your eyes, you will quickly be able to see whether or not a certain person is worthy of leadership, leadership position. And you see, there are many things that can be discerned, right, by just, just by opening your eyes and looking at them, because some deeds are, obviously, they're, they're evident. So the, the first truth is that some deeds are evident, say evident. The second truth is that some deeds are extracted, say extracted. Look at verse 25. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not cannot be what? Hidden. So the indication here is that there are some deeds that are are hidden, but if the church will be committed to examination, okay, those will become evident as well. And so Paul's point is if they are individuals of bad principles and bad practices, they will be discovered in time, for there is nothing hidden that shall not be revealed. Simply put it this way, time will tell. Amen? And this is why the church, and I want you to get this, please get this, why the church should not lay hands or place someone in ministry, leadership, because of personality, because of zeal, because of generosity, because of flattery, because of connections, because of ideas, because of availability, or profess love and loyalty to you and the church. So what? they got to be examined and tested to see that they're genuine. Amen? So review carefully those who are being considered for leadership. They must be tested. They must be examined. and See if they qualify. Amen? So let's wrap this up. So simply care for those who lead. Well, by honoring them. By protecting them from false accusations. By holding them accountable, which you have the right to do so. And finally, by cautiously selecting them. Amen? Let's all stand.